Welcome to Experience This, where you'll find inspiring examples of customer experience, great stories of customer service, and tips on how to make your customers love you even more. Always upbeat and definitely entertaining, customer retention expert Joey Coleman and social media expert Dan Gingas serve as your hosts for a weekly dose of positive customer experience. So hold on to your headphones. It's time to experience this. Get ready for another episode of the Experience This Show. Join us as we discuss the perils of automated outreach. The benefit of taking a few minutes to do your homework before talking to a prospect and how your reputation can precede you in both good and bad ways. Automating, researching, and anticipating. Oh my! It's shocking how often people use 38 words to describe something when two would do the trick. We're looking at you, lawyers and accountants. Words matter, and there is no excuse for trying to hide what you mean. We explore words and messaging in this next iteration of Say What? We do our best on this show to only discuss positive customer experiences. We feel that there's enough discussion about negative experiences in the world that we don't need to contribute. However, every once in a while, we share a story about an experience that could have been so much better with just a little more thought and consideration. Absolutely, Dan. In fact, I recently went online to do some research on employee experience, and in the process, I had an interaction just like that. I came across a website offering several different white papers that were of interest to me. Now, for the purposes of our conversations, we'll call this company Pumpernickel. In order to access the white papers, I had to enter my email address so they could send me links to download the papers. Now, while this was a bit frustrating in and of itself, why they just didn't let me download them in the first place without sharing my email, I have no idea. The papers seemed to be so in alignment with what I was looking to find, I begrudgingly entered my throwaway email address. Your throwaway email address? Yes, Dan. I have an email address that I can access, but it isn't my main email address. I share it with websites that I don't really need to have a personal connection with, but require an email address to access their content. So for context of the rest of our conversation, let's just pretend that my throwaway email address is no one at joeycoleman.com. And, folks, that isn't his real throwaway address. Otherwise, it would be completely defeating. I don't want to get the throwaway address because then people will start to use the throwaway address. And I really want it to be purely throwaway. You know, that's funny. I I get that. And I do the same thing. I have a Gmail account and a Yahoo account uh, that actually look pretty similar in terms of their um, address. But I give the Yahoo one to all companies and I get all my confirmations and receipts and spam and blah, blah, blah. And then my friends have the Gmail address, which is really where I have my human to human communication. Right. And the crazy thing is the fact that you and I are having this conversation, that we have fake email addresses, we could stop the segment right here. Okay, because if the businesses we deal with have created an environment where we need to come up with fake email addresses, stop behaving this way, folks, but I digress. Okay, the day after I received the papers that I had requested via email, I received another email. 
that I'd like to share with you. And as a reminder, I've only edited the name of the company to protect the guilty. And he's calling it Pumpernickel, which suddenly has me interested in bagels. Yeah, there you go. I figured if nothing else, if we were going to hear an email that could have been better, I'd make you feel hungry. All right, here's the email, and I'm quoting directly. Hi there. Thanks for your interest in Pumpernickel. Saw you checked out some Pumpernickel resources, plus I'd love to learn more about Joey Coleman's current HR needs. Can you please provide the following? How many employees work at Joey Coleman? How many are you looking to hire in the next 12 months? Do you use Gmail or Outlook? What is your ATS? Are you interested in Pumpernickel's operations platform or our standalone onboarding solution? Thanks in advance for the insight. I look forward to hearing from you soon. And while you're at it, Joey Coleman, could you just do my job for me, please? Oh, my gosh. I'm unable to. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. There are, wow, there are so many things about that email that I hate. Um, <laughs> I, uh, you know. This is why we don't usually talk about the negative examples, because Dan and I just get worked up. Yes, and I, I love that they ask how many employees work at Joey Coleman. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He hasn't I, even figured out yeah. that Joey Coleman is it's just actually a, a human person. A yeah. human, yeah. And to be frank, that actually left me thinking that this might have been an automated email scrape that was generated from my email address Absolutely. alone. Absolutely, it they, was. They didn't call me by my first name, which was odd because I had filled out a name in the name field when I was downloading Oh, the so you don't use a fake name? I, I actually use a fake name. <laughs> I do, which I'm not going to tell you what my fake name is, but I use the fake one, but they didn't use it. They didn't personalize the salutation to start, hi there, no one, which is what they could have gotten from the email if they would have presumed, because remember the email was no one at Joey Coleman. By the but, way, uh, I'm just going to interrupt you. Listeners, between you and me, I'm going to find out his fake name and yeah, I'll tweet it he out believes, later. He believes, yeah. And it'll be on Twitter. And the good news is I'll never even know. But anyway, the moral of the story is they completely missed that Joey Coleman's a personal name, not the name of a company. It also seemed like they were asking completely irrelevant questions. Like, why does it matter if you use Gmail or Outlook? And what if you don't use either of those? Like if you're still a Lotus Notes fan. Or a Yahoo fan, as Dan alluded to exactly. earlier. This is so true. But based on what I understand about Pumpernickel services, the email platform you ha you're you on has little to no impact on the applicability of their offerings. I, I just don't get it. I don't get well, it. And speaking of not getting it, I'm sure others are asking, when it asks, what is your ATS? <laughs> Do you even know what that means? Because I, I don't. Have zero idea. Folks, if you're using an acronym in your initial email to a cold prospect, in other words, someone who you don't know and they don't know you, please don't use acronyms ever. It creates so much confusion and it immediately alienates you from the recipient. At best, it feels impersonal and at worst, it makes the recipient feel out of the loop or confused or frustrated that they don't know what the heck you're talking about. You know, it may just be me, but it seems like they're asking all of their lead qualifying questions in a single email. And you said it before, but I think you're absolutely right. How is this not a canned email that they just plugged in your company name? I kind of almost hope that it is a canned email because if it's not and a human actually typed that email, I feel even worse about this situation than I did if it was an automation. Not only does it seem incredibly impersonal, but it also frankly feels incredibly lazy. 
It's like these are the qualifying questions that a salesperson would want answered in an initial sales call. And here they're going to ask them all in an email to decide if they want to keep emailing with me. It's absolutely crazy. Now, people who have been to some of my speeches or workshops know that I regularly draw analogies between customer experience and what it's like when people first start dating. It's easy to do that with this email as well. Now imagine a dating scenario where you connect with someone and decide to ask them for dinner for a first date. You then send an email that says something like this. And for those of you paying attention, I'm going to only slightly revise the email I received from Pumpernickel. Hi there. Thanks for your interest in me. I saw you checking me out. Plus, I'd love to learn more about your current needs. Can you please provide the following? How many relationships are you currently in? How many are you looking to be in over the next 12 months? Do you use Apple or Android? What's your T2HU? Are you interested in me long-term or as a one-off solution? Thanks in advance for the insight. I look forward to hearing from you soon. <laughs> Joey, you know- I mean, I, that's exactly what they just said to me. You know, I'm the one in this scenario who's uh, currently- in a dating situation. And I, I'm kind of glad it's not you because that kind of email is probably not going to work. It's, it's actually a horrible idea. And this is the point I make. If you wouldn't do it in your personal lives, why the heck are you doing it in your professional lives? We shouldn't be sending these type of emails. Now, I know personalizing a communication takes time. I know that caring about people as individuals takes effort. I know that prospecting and lead qualifying and moving people through your sales process is a challenge. But all that being said, please stop automating your initial communications. Please don't overwhelm a prospective customer with a half dozen questions that imply that how they answer them will determine whether or not you care about them or want to continue the conversation. Folks, you can do better. We can all do better. Let's keep in mind that the customer experience starts at the first interaction, long before you or they have even figured out if they might be a good customer. Sometimes a remarkable experience deserves deeper investigation. We dive into the nitty gritty of customer interactions and dissect how and why they happen. Join us while we're dissecting the experience. Wow. After that last segment, I feel like I need a shower. And I don't blame you, Dan. Uh, that's one of the benefits of a podcast, though, folks. If you feel you need a shower, too, just hit pause. Come back to it later. Or you can play it while you're in the shower. But I digress. Let me try to dig us out of the customer experience hole that that last segment put us into by sharing an example of how prospect qualifying via email should be done. Yes, please. Okay, so I recently launched a new website at joeycoleman.com. And in the planning and development stage, we considered several different ways to share videos on the site, as well as some other websites that I have. Now, the awesome folks at Yokoko, who incidentally uh, designed the experiencethisshow.com website, helped me out and as part of that process, suggested I sign up for a free account with several different video hosting platforms so that I could check out their respective offerings. Now, one of the services I signed up with was Wistia. The day after signing up for my free account, I received the following email message. Hi, Joey. Congratulations on your free Wistia account. Wow, there is so much to say, but no one likes long emails. 
What a career you have built for yourself. It must be so amazing to work with such large companies as Hyatt Hotels and NASA. Awesome that you are also helping others grow their knowledge with all of your speaking appearances. One last thing. I really liked how on your About page you mentioned your family and how important they are to you. Now on to Wistia and Video. How are you looking to use video? What would you be hoping to get out of video? Do you have 15 minutes to talk about your video goals and how Wistia can help? If so, here's my calendar to choose a time that works for you. Thanks, Kristen. Okay, now that, people, is how you do it. Let's see. Let's, let's pick this apart a little bit. First of all, she acknowledged that no one likes long emails, which is true. And she showed that she was witty and has a personality, which I love. And even before that, she called me by name. She did. It's well, an I, I Joey. Hey, how true. about that? I, I sort of wrote that one off as being <laughs> obvious, but okay. But not based on our last segment. Yes. And I also, it is clear that she took some time to review your website and to learn about you. And granted, she's sort of citing some of it back to you to make sure you know that she knows about you, but it. It's all good anyway because she did her homework about you. And the third thing that I really like, because I do this as well, is she gives you a link to her calendar so that you can easily make an appointment. And I'll tell you, I started using Calendly about a year ago, and it is an absolute game changer because you eliminate all those back and forth emails about, oh, when are you available? Are you available from any time between 9.30 and 11.30 next Thursday through Friday? And so it makes it really easy for you to do it, and it's not nearly as pushy. I love it. I think it is an A-plus initial email. I totally agree with you, Dan. And I admit, I was intrigued. Even though I knew that this was really an email to hopefully shift me from the free account to a paid account, I thought it'd be interesting to connect with Kristen and if nothing else, see what motivated her to spend so much time personalizing an outreach message to me. I mean, clearly she spent time on my website and learned more about me so that she could personalize and customize the message. So I assume you went ahead and scheduled a call with her. Uh, actually, no. To be totally honest, I got busy with other things. I was developing and building the website. There was a lot going on at that time. And sadly, I didn't respond to her message. Ah, Joey, so what's the end of the story? Did you ever connect with her? Well, not exactly. But let's just say Kristen didn't take no for an answer either, which I really appreciated. A week later, she sent me a video. Get it? She works for a video hosting company, and the video encouraged me to reach out as well. This definitely got my attention and reinforced that the first communication wasn't just a fluke. So then you scheduled a call with her. Actually, no. Once again, I got busy with other things and I didn't schedule the call. There was frankly so much going on at that time. And while I was interested in learning more, it just wasn't a priority right then and right there. I'm not sure I like this story. Yeah, I hear you. I don't blame you. But the good news is it has a happy ending. A few weeks later, I eventually got on a call with Kristen and we had a great conversation. I used the link as you suggested to schedule and it was super easy and fast. And I actually scheduled a call for the next morning. I explained what I was looking for. I learned a lot more about Wistia. And in my conversation, I actually realized that for now, I was okay using their free service. But you know what the best part was, Dan? Kristen didn't mind. Even though she didn't get the upsell, we agreed to stay in touch. And she asked my permission to reach out in a few months and see how I was doing. And since then, she's checked in every once in a while to see how things are going. Now, while I haven't migrated to a paid account with Wistia just yet, what I have done is stop considering all of their competitors. In short, Kristen won the business, even though I'm not yet an official paying customer and the revenue hasn't started to flow in for them. What I am ready to do is commit 
that when a transition to a paid account is needed, I'm not going to need any selling. I'm just going to do it. Well, even though I was giving you a hard time for not getting back to poor Kristen over at Wistia, I do think that your behavior is probably more common than not. I mean, companies usually hope that initial contact from a prospect, which could be subscribing to a newsletter or downloading a white paper or signing up for the free version as you did, they hope that it's a sign of immediate interest. But in reality, it's often just the first step in a much longer process. The way we design those initial communications and the level of personalization and personality we bring to the conversation often plays a major role in determining whether or not that person will ever become a paying customer. So remember, everyone, treat the prospect as well as you would treat a customer. And the chance of that prospect becoming a customer in the future goes up dramatically. Sometimes all it takes is a single question to get your company thinking about an improved customer experience. Here's an idea for how you can start the conversation. This week's Start the Conversation topic is developing customer centricity. Putting customers at the heart of every business decision, customer centricity, sets the foundation for lasting relationships and customer experience success. Unfortunately, there are many challenges that organizations must overcome to develop customer centricity throughout the entire business, including unyielding focus on revenue and profits, lack of awareness of a customer experience program, lack of a buy-in from leadership, and many more. Here are three strategies for overcoming these challenges and developing customer centricity in your business. One, Train leaders on customer centricity, its financial impact, and how to promote customer centricity within their individual teams and departments. Two, reward individual contributors for specific successes and their overall role in delivering customer-centric experiences. Three, engage in internal active listening and empower all employees to share thoughts or concerns regarding customer needs and expectations. You know, it's interesting, Dan, this whole idea of customer centricity is frankly not new. It's something that people have been talking about for a while, but so few companies actually do it. And I think part of the reason they don't do it is because a small group of folks in the company buy into it philosophically, and they presume that that's enough to shift the whole culture. The reality is not everyone in your organization feels that they're responsible for the customer experience, and yet they are. There is no function in any business that doesn't in some way impact the customer experience. And so I think we need to do things like reward people for creating great customer experiences. We need to make sure that the internal incentives are aligned for these type of remarkable customer experience creation moments. At the end of the day, by adopting a philosophy of customer centricity, we commit to an ongoing evolution and development of a different way of looking at our business, a way of putting the customers into every conversation. And now for this week's question about developing customer centricity. Are we doing everything we can to develop a customer-centric approach throughout our organization? We encourage you to start the conversation within your own company and then continue it with our friends at Avtex by going to www.experienceconversations.com. 
Again, that's experienceconversations.com. We love telling stories and sharing key insights you can implement or avoid based on our experiences. Can you believe that this just happened? I was on Facebook the other day. Hold up. Stop the presses. (laughs) You were on social media, Joey? Yes, Dan. I know it's a shock to both you and probably to most of our loyal listeners, but every once in a while I go on social media. And while I don't usually post anything, I do my best to observe what's happening. I often find it's uh, not only a way to keep tabs on what's going on in my Facebook friends' lives, but I sometimes come across evidence of shifting customer experience behaviors which is what I was hoping to talk about in this segment. So while I was scrolling through Facebook, I came across a meme post that read as follows, and I'm quoting verbatim here, folks, so please forgive me if what the post says is less than flattering about a brand that you love. UPS, your package is in your city on a truck driven by Mike. It will arrive on your doorstep at 6.27 p.m. today. FedEx, your package is coming. You'll get it when we get there. USPS. What package? Amazon. We're already inside your apartment. Check the bathroom. Facebook. We know you were thinking about getting a toaster yesterday. Here are 20 ads for toaster ovens. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Not bad, uh, right? Not bad. Yes. Just for some of our listeners who may not know what a meme is, a meme is a humorous image or it could be a video or sometimes just a piece of text. And it's often copied and imitated again and again, sometimes with slight variations, and then shared across the internet. And this one's really funny because it's obviously uh, sort of taking advantage of some brand perceptions that may be true or not true, um, but it's certainly uh, kind of tightening the screws on some of those perceptions. Absolutely. But what I liked about this, as I alluded to earlier, is it indicated, at least to me, a shift in customer expectations. So until about 45 years ago or so, the post office didn't really have any major competitors. In the 1970s, UPS and FedEx came onto the scene, and for the longest time, those three were the big players in getting things to your home, or at least here in the United States. And then in the mid-1990s, Amazon came along. And for a while, Amazon used UPS, and then they added in FedEx and the U.S. Postal Service. Then they experimented with delivering using their own vehicles. And now, many of the deliveries are being made by private citizens working as independent contractors to make the deliveries. The point I'm trying to make here is that in just 45 years, a little bit less than my lifespan, the way items make it from the marketplace to your home has changed dramatically. The old maxim of, well, just pay attention to the competition doesn't work anymore because companies like Amazon are becoming the competition for everyone. Well, I'm sure there are some businesses that Amazon is not going to compete with. Well, I, I don't disagree with you, Dan, and I probably could have explained that better. What I mean is that going forward, your competition isn't the other people in your industry. It's every experience your customers have ever had in any setting with anybody that they're purchasing from. So you're being compared to UPS and they give you an alert every step of the way notification. 
Do you alert your customers every step of the way as you deliver your products and services? Can they check in remotely to see the progress you're making on the offering that you've sold them? You're being compared to Amazon and they're, we're in the house already. To make it beyond easy to reorder your products and services the way Amazon lets me push a button or ask Alexa, and the next thing I know, I have what I want at my house faster than I thought was humanly possible. Your competitors are the companies and brands and organizations that your customers are doing business with and having great experiences with in the process. That's who you're being measured against. And I wanna jump in and say, because I know what some of our listeners are thinking, This is also true for B2B businesses. And the reason is is that even in a B2B or business-to-business setting, you're not marketing to an ivory tower. You're marketing to another human being on the other end. And that human being is a consumer. So they have had experience with UPS and with Amazon. There's no reason why a B2B company can't update a client every step of the way on the process or the progress of a project that they're working on. That's That's a simple expectation that consumers now have that the person on the other end of your B2B transaction also has. Well, and folks, let's be candid. Your B is a C for all the hours they're not at the office. And based on internet behavior at work, they're also being a C at the office when they're ordering stuff when they should be working for you. So this whole contrived notion of, well, there's B2B businesses and they're B2C businesses and they're different. Yeah, that played true maybe, I'll give you a maybe, decades ago. It doesn't apply today. It's H to H, it's humans to humans. So here's the question to ask yourself. Are you raising the bar for the level of customer experience and customer service that you deliver in a way that is on pace and on par with the rest of the marketplace or with the entire world? Are you constantly exploring new ways to do that? Because if you're not, you may end up becoming part of a meme on social media that you're not too excited about. Wow! Thanks for joining us for another episode of Experience This. We know there are tons of podcasts to listen to, magazines and books to read, reality TV to watch. We don't take for granted that you've decided to spend some quality time listening to the two of us. We hope you enjoyed our discussions, and if you do, we'd love to hear about it. Come on over to experiencethisshow.com and let us know what segments you enjoyed, what new segments you'd like to hear. This show is all about experience, and we want you to be part of the Experience This Show. Thanks again for your time, and we'll see you next week for more Experience This.